So last week we pointed out <clears throat> in the book of Matthew, first he introduced us to the person of the king in the first four chapters, and then the next to the principle of the king in chapters five to seven. And then now in chapters eight and nine, we see the power of the king. And we said if a king doesn't have power, what good are his credentials or his principles? So in chapters eight and nine here, we see 10 miracles. We got to cover four of those last Sunday. Last week, we looked at the grace to the outcasts. This morning, we're going to look at peace to the disturbed in chapter 8 here, verses 23, all the way into chapter 9, verse 17, which we'll get into next week, Lord willing. And then next, we're going to see the restoration to the broken, and that wraps up chapter 9. And then we laid out the three different type of miracles that we saw Jesus do, which are pretty cool. The nature miracles, spiritual authority miracles, healing miracles. Okay, how many of you guys in this room have seen one of those miracles take place in your life personally or someone close to you? You guys want to know why? Because our God's alive. Amen? <laughs> He's still on the move. So, why? Um, well, first of all, uh, we're going to look today, uh, this week, at discipleship and a miracle with nature, okay? And I'm excited to get into that with you guys. So what would you say if Jesus spun around this morning, pointed to you, and asked you in front of everyone here, why are you following me? What would you say? And you have to tell the truth. Can't be super spiritual, Okay? have to tell the truth. Why? I want you guys to ask yourselves that this morning. Why are you following Jesus? We need to understand, okay, what's going on right here, what's set before us in Matthew with this group that has been following Jesus thus far. Some, they're hanging on every single word that he has spoken. Some are interested in him. Some are attracted to him. Some loved the association that there was with his popularity. Some enjoyed the miracles. Some enjoyed the occasional free bread and fish. Um, they felt that they wanted to be with him in some way. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the hasty and the reluctant followers. So let's take a look at verses 18 to 22 here. We're going to actually see, before we read, we're going to learn here that Jesus is not so much impressed with big crowds. We see that right away in verse 18. The people were willing, he, he, he was looking for people who were willing to follow him, but these, they were not willing to give up all to follow Christ and giving their all to Christ. So let's look at the hasty first in verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
So this scribe probably had been listening to his teachings. Maybe he was there during the Sermon on the Mount, and he got fired up. In an impulse, he said, count me in. I'm your guy. I'm going to be there. I'm going to follow you. Well, the scribe said, it'll be great. It's going to be a great thing to be your disciple. The stories, sitting around a campfire with you and the boys, seeing the miracles, the healings, the crowds. And Jesus said, wait, there's a price. So in addition to tra uh, traveling ministry and no permanent home, Jesus cannot rest because of the crowd's need here. Jesus' response, um, but <laughs> catch this, it's, he says not even the birds or the foxes, I mean the birds and the foxes, they have more than me. That's what he's saying. They have more than me. So are you ready to start at the bottom? Are you willing to start at the bottom to follow Christ? So, Eager Eddie, we'll call him, is our first prospective disciple. He volunteered to be a, follow, a follower of Jesus. I will did you guys catch what he said? I will follow you anywhere. That's what he said. Till Jesus warned that discipleship might be uncomfortable. So hardship kept him from following. So the lesson here this morning for you and I, we need to count the costs before you shoot off your mouth. So the first man was too fast. And the next man that we're going to see is too slow, the reluctant. Look at verse 21. Then another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So the first guy... He was hardened by possessions, okay? This man, it's about relationships. Lord, I'll follow you when I... And we all can fill in the blank, can't we? Don't we have that same tendency sometimes? You see, the father hadn't yet died because they get buried the same day. He would have been there making preparations for, uh, for the death of his dad, the process of it. So the son wishes to go home, live in comfort with his father till his death, perhaps years away yet, collect his inheritance, and then at his leisure become a disciple. And this is how we spell this. Pro-cra-st-a- Sean, I even said it a little too fast. It's in our human tendency, isn't it? You see, this man's request probably reflects the indefinite postponement of joining Jesus' disciples. You see, in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, Jesus tells us, or he, call, he tells us that he actually called this man, and when Jesus calls, we must respond. We must. Today's the day of salvation. And my heart is grieved when someone is so close to finally believing. But there's just that excuse. They're interested. They're getting it. They're open. But I have my... 
something or it's got to wait yet, not quite there. And they never come back. They never actually enter in. Come so close. So his excuse, more time was needed. The most sacred home ties are the snares when they interfere with our devotion to the Lord. It's amazing how many grown-ups that are still bound to their parents' wishes, still under their shadow, still under their heavy hands, still under, well, we owe them money, got <laughs> to pay them back, yet hoping to still please them to this day. And I would tell you guys, let no relationship stand in your way to following Jesus Christ. Amen? So, are you engaged? You want to get married? Are you dating? Is your boyfriend, your girlfriend going to help you to run, to follow Jesus? Or are you just hoping one day that they'll step into church and then get it? So which relationship is affecting you or we could say infecting you. You see, this second prospective disciple, let's call reluctant Ralph. Does that sound like a good one? Reluctant Ralph. Kinship keeps him from following. Let me first go and bury my dad. In Jesus' response, we actually find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 60, he says, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and you preach the kingdom of God, meaning let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead, because only the spiritually alive can save the spiritually dead. Okay, that's the point that Jesus is getting at. D.L. Moody said this, and this is one of my favorite sayings by him. He says, The church of his day reminded him of firemen straightening pictures on the wall of a burning house. Think about that. That's ridiculous. Have we lost focus of the eternal in the temporal? I see many Christians just trying to straighten out their lives Okay, get everything fixed and perfect in their lives and people are dying and going to hell when we have the words of life to share with them. You guys should have been given an invite card this morning. Did everybody get one of those? Okay, I don't know what's going on in my heart. I've been praying in a new way this week that I haven't prayed before and it's specifically that God would add to the church here. That he would add to the church I got so stoked. Sonny was sharing with me what they're going through with our kids and kids' church, the curriculum, the foundation, the word of God that's going forth. And I think, and I might be, you know, partial to, hey, the teaching here is pretty good. <laughs> but I do feel like there's sound doctrine that we stand upon. And it's something that we take here at Freedom, the word of God, seriously that hey if people are coming they're actually going to hear and begin to grow okay god said you grow by the word of god i talked to a man i'm getting new glasses i'll have them next week i hope um but i was talking to the doctor and you know we're having eye exams you know i like jesus so i had to start talking about him um, and come to find out he's a good catholic man who's going to a bible teaching church for the first time in his life just because he wants to do church 
with his family. And he's about halfway through the New Testament. And he, it was so funny, had a few questions, but he was just so excited how the word of God has so many connections and is so helpful in understanding who God is. And he's just growing in that way, but he misses the tradition. And there's things that he wishes his family could do together. You know, and that's one of those things that draw us, guys. There's so many reasons why we're not willing just to come to the word of God. But it's one of those things God has given to us and is a privilege. And it's something that God's asked every single church to do is to teach his word, precept upon precept, line upon line. It is important and there's safety in it when we go through the whole counsel of God. And I think about how much the word of God has affected my life and changed my heart. And that's what people need. You know, I love the food pantry ministry. Opportunity to meet a physical need, but the reason we're doing it is there's a spiritual need. You walk into the pantry, there's scriptures all over. We're sharing the word of God with people. That's what they need. So, I encourage you guys, invite someone to church that they can come and grow, hear the word of God, hopefully come to believe, to truly repent and turn to Christ. Next week, Lord willing, I'm hoping to have a basket that we can put out front and out back. And I'm going to encourage you guys next week, I only gave you one card this morning, okay? Not too hard. Hey, What's going on? What's missing in church? You are. You know? It's a good thing because God has ordained the church for us to grow, to get equipped. Okay? There's a purpose in that. I'm going to put together just little packets of cards. And I'm hoping you guys will grab a packet every single week. There's going to be seven in a packet, one a day. I don't think that is too much. People need to hear. Because let me tell you, anyone here this morning just happened to walk in this building because you knew it was a church and you have questions about God? Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those things we got to go invite, guys. So what lesson can we take from this disciple? Well, the proclaiming the kingdom, okay, is so important that it can't wait. That's the point here. It can't wait. We don't know. This morning praying with the church, I just loved it. Okay, my, my, my youngest prays all the time for Jesus to come back. My oldest doesn't, but that was his prayer this morning. And as a dad, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, come back. It'd be awesome. I think my oldest is getting it. That's our hope. And we know he's coming back. We don't know when it's going to happen, guys. But he told us he's going to. He gave us the times and the seasons. Things are falling together. I mean, he's fulfilled all these other prophecies. Why is he going to do what he's, he's going to? And let it not take you by surprise. We need to be ready and let me tell you what, I want a whole lot of people ready to go with him. We are to be a bride that is beautiful and ready for him. And if the word of God is able to wash us, <laughs> okay, we got to take it serious. So he asks us, can you give up the warmth of family ties? That's what he's asking. So this first man was too fast, this man too slow, and then Luke actually adds one more third perspective disciple for us, the uncommitted, OK? 
Okay, and you guys can look at it later. It's in chapter 9 of Luke, verses 57 to 62. And I'm going to call this guy Craving Culver's. We almost named one of our kids. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, he's a third perspective. You guys will understand why. He's our third perspective disciple. He said, Lord, I will follow you, but... Let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So he just wanted a little time to say goodbye to some folks, you know, have, you know, a couple of his favorite flavors of the month, a Culver's maybe, um, <laughs> and then he would follow. That was his mindset. Hey, there's some things I, 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 I want to do. I want to get set first before I actually follow you, Jesus. So long involved goodbyes, he might be liable to forget his call and not return. Feeling change changes often when one looks back. It just happens. God might be speaking this morning, yeah, this is right. But if it's not dealt with and done right away, isn't it easy to forget? Yeah. So, I will, but... I will, but I'm afraid if I follow Christ, I'm going to lose friends. Probably will happen. I'm afraid, but it may cause my family displeasure if I go on the mission field. So what is your but? The lesson here, he was uncommitted. So this first man was too fast, the second man was too slow, and the third man was uncommitted. So Jesus ended by saying, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Or can you set your eyes in the right direction? You see, Jesus wants now disciples. Right now, today. That's what he wants. Now. And I'd have to say, does he deserve it? Is he worthy of it? Absolutely. See, he's looking for disciples who will put his or her hand to the plow without looking back. All right, <laughs> I've repented. I've turned to you. This is what you're asking me to do. I'm going to follow hard after you, God. I'm following you. You see, the blade must stay level and steady, and only by looking ahead with eyes fixed on those guiding marks can one get the job done properly. So Jesus says, fix your eyes ahead on me and don't look back. And isn't Satan good at getting our eyes off of Jesus? Yeah, keep your eyes on him, guys. All right. Changing gears a little bit here. Picking up now in verse 23 to 27, we're going to see peace in the storm. Jesus now shows his power over nature. Let's look at verse 23. Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose down the sea, so the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us! We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O oh, you 
of little faith. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey? Wow! So the Sea of Galilee, it's about 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. From the Arbol Pass, winds or storms, they come in quickly, they come in violently off the Mediterranean Sea upon the north side of the lake. So Jesus undoubtedly knew the storm was coming. He foresaw it. He knew what was going to go down. And certainly he could have prevented it, but he permitted it. Why? Why allow these storms to come? Well, maybe for the same reason that a parent gives vaccines to their children, right? It's about presenting a foreign um, antigen to the immune system to evoke the immune response. So I think Christ, guys, our spiritual immune system, he allows those storms to come, okay? (laughs) Those trials, those hardships, why? To build us up. How many guys have been through some pretty hard stuff in life? Okay. Has God strengthened you, grown you through it? Yeah. He's faithful to his word and he promises to do it. And I can say yes and amen. There's a lot of things happening all the time. Like, do these ever stop? No, but I can say that God uses it. There's growth, maturity as a result of it. So, if you sense Jesus asleep in the storm that you're going through, R-E-L-A-X. Relax. I got that from a theologian. (laughs) Pray for him. If he's not doing anything, it means he's not pacing, he's not anxious, he's not worried, he's resting. He's resting. Jesus was able to sleep during this serious storm. Think about this. Picture yourself there. What is going on? Okay? And this is the type of peace I believe God wants us to have. Give you craziness going on all around us. And he wants us, if we're in the center of God's will, I believe we can have that peace. Also remember, at any moment, God, Jesus can stand up, right, and speak a word, and immediately the storm will stop. He can do that. So how many times have you made him stop the testing early? How many times have you rode out the storm with Christ on your vessel? You see, verse 25, they accused him of not caring in Mark's account. Okay, chapter 4, verse 38. Teacher, you do not care that we're perishing. Wow, really? As a disciple of Jesus, would you say that to him? Don't we know better? You see, his trust in his father was so firm that he rocked in the cradle of the deep. Jesus knew the father had him. So what woke him up? What woke him? Not the wind, not the waves, not the boat filling up with water, not the rocking back and forth, not the noise. None of these things woke him. They did. His disciples caused him more disquiet than the storm. They awoke him. So what a great cry though. Lord, save us. We are perishing. 
I think that's a good prayer. Lord, we're perishing. Save us. Do you guys ever pray like that? I pray like that a lot. We are such a rebellious people. I know who I'm in in Christ. I know I've been forgiven. I know I'm his kid. But I still feel bad as a human being how rebellious that we are. How we just purposely ignore and push God away in everything. You guys ever cry out, God, save us? We need you. Sorry. I want you to ask the question, which word would better describe you, believer or follower? Believer or follower? You see, believing, trusting in Jesus Christ, it is fundamental. So important. But doing so is the first step to a person's faith. It's not the culmination of it. James tells us even demons believe and tremble. There's a lot of people that believe in Jesus. A few weeks ago, we were looking at the passage where Jesus said, in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at all the stuff I did. (laughs) And he's going to say what to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. Okay? There is a belief. And if it's a true belief in God, in Jesus as Lord and Savior, there should be a following that takes place. It's not just a lip service. Because if you really believe it, you're going to do something with it, aren't you? Okay? Like if somebody put a real Reese's, you know, custard cup on my desk in there, even though I'm trying not to eat sugar right now, I'd probably go and enjoy it, (laughs) okay, (laughs) if I knew it was there. You guys understand? And that's just a little cup of custard. This is God we're talking about, to follow him. You see, following, see, our, our purpose is to take a lifelong journey of following the Lord's footsteps, okay? I'm following you. That's what you've asked me to do, honoring him with our action, with our speech. So a follower's life is to be summed up in the phrase of complete obedience. That's what he's looking for. That's, as a church family, what we want to encourage each other to be doing. When one of us fall or we're tripping, we want to come alongside, lift you up. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Let's keep going. God's got this. Okay, he knows what's going on. He's going to see us through this storm. He wants complete obedience. Well, pastor, how does that look? I'm glad you asked. Thursday morning at our men's Bible study, we read this verse in John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is where it begins, guys. Do you believe in him? Truly believe in him? It's true. That's why we repent, the call. Repent and believe. We turn. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm turning from this life, this world, self, sin. I'm believing. (laughs) I'm believing this good news, the truth of who you are and what you've done upon the cross, how you died, were buried, rose again. I believe. So by putting our faith in Christ, trusting in God, okay, 
He promises that we will be born again. There's so many promises of the Holy Spirit. And aren't you guys thankful for the Holy Spirit? Okay? Because God's promised, hey, I will complete the work I began. I'm going to give you a helper. (laughs) And sometimes we think about how does this obedience happen? It's by believing, guys. And when you're really born again, you are going to have a helper. And I don't know about you guys, when you got born again, did you feel like you had a little spirit alarm, Holy Spirit alarm? It's just like the things that came so natural, you had no problem doing, the Holy Spirit alarm would go off. I don't feel comfortable kissing my girlfriend. What's up? I like kissing. You know? know? It's just, he begins to warn us. And he begins to put things in our heart. Man, this person that I just can't stand, I care for them. I want them to know Jesus like I know Jesus now. I want them to be set free. Where does that come from? From the helper, guys. We are a new creation in Christ. And it is beautiful when God does that. He's going to complete that work. And we're told in Galatians 5.25 to be in step with the Spirit, right? In Romans 6.13, we are to yield to God because there are so many Christians today who are grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, it tells us not to do it. Don't grieve him. And the key is humility, brother and sister. Humbly follow. Because a person of pride says, God, this is what I'm doing. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad you're coming with me and will be with me in this. That's backwards. I'm following you, God. (laughs) Wherever you lead, I'm going to follow you. You're making the calls. You're directing the ship. This week, I have a Facebook friend, a Calvinist friend, who doesn't agree with this. He posted on my timeline, I just want to read what he said. He said, regeneration is not the fruit of the result of faith. You guys catch that? Rather, regeneration precedes faith as necessary condition for faith. We also do not in any way dispose ourselves towards regeneration or cooperate or co-workers with the Holy Spirit to bring it to pass. We do not decide or choose to be regenerated. God chooses to regenerate us before we will ever choose to embrace him. Now, I don't agree with that. And this morning, in light of what I entitled this morning's sermon, I've decided to follow Jesus, you guys probably see where I stand. Now, I want us to consider this together this morning. But what does the Scriptures actually say? So I don't care what people say, what opinions are, what author... I need to read to understand. No, I want, I want you to show me what God has to say. That's where I want to get my understanding. I don't want to have to understand by reading this guy and that guy. I want to read the guy. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so what does it actually say about the logical order of new life and man's responsibility in attaining it? Which comes first, new life or faith? Okay. Some of you guys might say, does it really even matter? Does this matter at all? Yes, it does, guys. 
One, if you don't believe what the scriptures say and hold to it literally, you're going to have a skew of who God really is, what his heart is. A Calvinist will say God does not love the world. I believe that God so loved the world so much that he was willing to become a man and lay down his own life, desiring none to perish. That's what I believe because it's what God has said. And if I don't really think that God does love everybody, that he just picks some and damns other to hell, I'm not going to care about your soul. I'm not going to care about sharing the gospel with you. Because what's the point? God's going to do what he's going to do anyways. I've had friends, guys, who've walked away from the Lord because wolves came in and taught this heresy and it is creeping into the church. Most of the church's pastors today teaching from pulpits right here in the Fox Valley this morning are teaching a false gospel. And Satan is good at getting in last week I was really excited the gospel project came out with this whole thing on Genesis and the gals are going through Genesis I had some friends over a month ago that are going to a church that's not a reformed church and they're going through the gospel project with their children's ministry so I looked up their one freebie hey maybe this is something that we could do during the summers with our kids it looks really nice colorful the gospel project is going to be good right I went and looked at who's on the council of the board. All nine men, all Calvinists. And I looked, and I began to see a little bit of a slant, some things that are just off a little bit. But then this last week, when I saw the Gospel Project come out for the beginning, the importance of Genesis, I'm like, that's good! We understand, we take it literally, okay? We need to have a foundation. If we can't believe the first part of the Bible, how can we believe anything else? And they had curriculum not just for kids, but for elementary, for teenagers, for young adults and adults. And I began to read and my heart was grieved, guys. I'm like, there is an agenda here. This has this whole reformed thing. There is nothing about repentance there's nothing about turning to God. And they had links to Reformed preachers. And you go to these Reformed preachers, they teach the Bible, and they flat out said, there's videos out there, we don't even hold, I don't believe in the literal 11 or first chapters, I don't believe of the narrative, literally, as I would interpret the rest of the Bible. They'll do away with that. And there's over a million people already who have signed up for the Gospel Project study. My heart is grieved, guys. Church is given for a purpose, and it's for doctrine, for the building up of the saints. And if we do not believe that Jesus so loved this world, why would we believe in the Great Commission? Go make disciples. What's the point? God's going to save who's going to save anyways. What's the point? Why pray for the heart of somebody? It's all better preordained. We have no luck. It's gross. And Satan's doing a great job. And this whole movement is gaining steam within the church. And there are so many people that are being led astray in it. 
And it ends in the works of the flesh because, hey, if I'm really saved, this is how I have to live to prove that I'm really saved. It's gross. It's unbiblical. But I want us this morning, and I'm going to fly through a bunch of scriptures. I would encourage you guys, jot them down fast, okay? Let's observe what the scriptures say. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 to 32. Therefore, you Israelites, you will judge each other according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent! And again, I think that's the most beautiful book, word in all of the Bible, okay? Repent. Why would you want to turn to God? So turn away from your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all offenses you who have committed and get a new heart, a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. This is what he has said. Repent and live. So the order clearly laid out is as follows. Repent, turn away, rid yourselves, get a new heart, get a new spirit. And then I love what verse 32 says because it makes it so simple. Did you guys see that? Repent and live. (laughs) You see the order? Pretty simple. That's what the sovereign has said. So life comes from repentance, not the other way. So when Jesus makes this call to follow him, he's not joking around. You need to turn to me. You need to repent and follow now. That is what he's asking. Check out Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even Gentiles, okay, non-believers, those who don't even have the oracles of God, unto life so the order it's clearly laid out okay it is as follows repentance unto life so the gentiles were not granted life unto repentance it doesn't say that but just the opposite according to the text the gospel is the means god grants mankind the ability to believe do you believe that I sure hope so, because I, I want, and I believe this is what God wants us, this is why he has given us these texts, that when we are sharing the gospel with somebody, that we are really looking at that person as, God loves you. He really did die for you. He can save you. If I didn't believe that, how would I care? He wants us to care for the lost. He wants us to have his heart. He desires none to perish. So here the gospel means that God grants mankind the ability to believe. He sent the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, which enabled their faith response. We see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And then later in Romans, Paul tells us in chapter 10, verse 17, what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not God makes you born again first so then you can have the faith. That's not taught anywhere in the scripture. Check out John 5.40. Yet you you refuse, you refuse to come to me that you can have life. So the order clearly laid out is as follows. Come to me through faith to have life. 
John 6, 53. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So the order, again, clearly laid out is as follows. Unless you eat, drink, by faith, you cannot have life in you. John 6, 57. So then one who feeds on me will, be, will live because of me. The order clearly laid out is as follows. The one who feeds on me by faith will live. John at the end of his gospel says this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the order clearly laid out is as follows. These are written, what are written? The scriptures. That you may believe, and by believing you may have life. Life clearly is fruit of faith and repentance, not the other way around. Acts 15.9, he made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by what? Faith. Okay, That's how their hearts were changed. It was by faith. So the order clearly laid out, he purified their hearts by faith. It does not say he purified their hearts by regeneration so as to make them have the faith. Clearly, a purified heart is a fruit of faith. It's not the other way around. John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Yet to all you, or all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human dissension, uh, or of a husband's will, or, but born of God. So the right to be born of God is given only to those who believe. The order clearly is laid out, uh, is as follows. All who did receive him, who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. You guys see that? I don't understand why the church is twisting this. I do understand why. Satan's good at what he does. You see, you are not even given the right to become a child of God, much less born again as a child, until you receive him and believe in his name. And while placing our trust in Christ is man's responsibility, the work of regeneration is all God's doing. So it does not come by way of inheritance, marriage, works, or strifes. Uh, we see that in Romans chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. Galatians 3.26, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the order clearly laid out is as follows. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. So obviously becoming a son born of God is a fruit of faith. It's not the other way around. John 12, yes, a little end. We could really go on all day, but I only got a few more. John 12, 36. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. So the order clearly laid out as, or is as follows. Believe in the light so you may become children. Ephesians 1, 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the order clearly laid out is as follows. When you heard the message of truth, see it? 
when you believed, you were included in Christ. You were marked in him. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 5, it says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So the order clearly laid out is as follows. Receive the Spirit by what? Believing what you heard. 2 Corinthians 3.14-16 through 16, But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil, okay, they're blind, remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil co covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the order clearly laid out as follows. Anyone turns to the Lord by faith, the veil is going to be taken away. Pretty cool. And don't you guys love when that happens? Someone comes to faith, it's just like, man, I was blind and now I see. I get why you're so crazy, Christian. You know? I get why you love Jesus. They're able to see. 1 Timothy 1.16 But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So the order clearly laid out is as follows. Those who believe in him may receive eternal life. Colossians 2, 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The order clearly laid out is as follows. Baptism, in which you were also raised through your faith. That's why so many Reformed people are baptizing babies. Okay? No. It's through faith that you're raised. Babies can't have faith. You guys understand it is our faith. One last one. James 1.18. He chose to give us birth through what, guys? The word of truth. Why do we take the word of God so seriously here? It's through Okay. Right now, we were talking about the pantry before. We have some phenomenal volunteers, a handful of them are Catholics that don't know Jesus. And we pray, we pray, we share. Why don't read the Bible? You need to start reading. Because why? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. It's not being a part of this denomination. It's through Jesus, period, guys. You can't know him. He is the word. He is the logos. Okay? You have to come to know him through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So the order clearly laid out is as follows. He gives us birth through the word of truth. You guys see how important the word is? And the problem is we're going to get caught up into false gospels when we begin to pick and choose which verses we want to believe in and which ones we don't. A lot of what I shared this morning 
is context right around a lot of the key passages the Calvinists will want to hang to to prove their point. Problem is, I don't ignore them. The context makes them clear. The problem is, when we begin to ignore scriptures, we're, you know, we're going to get off. That's why it's so important. And again, I said this a couple weeks ago, and I want to share this again. If a shepherd only warns the flock but never feeds them, they will uh, die of malnutrition. If he only feeds the flock and never warns them, he is simply fattening them up for the kill. I've seen a lot of believers led astray by false teaching, which they get into it, and false teaching always begets more false teaching and more false teaching and more false teaching. And some of the places that they are, how did you get way over there? How has your heart grown so hard? Why don't you even go to church anymore? What's the point? God's just going to do what he wants to do anyways. We have no responsibility. No, God's given us responsibility. You see, Calvinists teach the word of truth will certainly be rejected by the unregenerate. Thus, how can the apostle then say, the word may be the means by new birth? I'll take the words of one of the apostles over the words of a man by the name of John Calvin any day. Because these words, guys, are inspired by God. Calvinism's not the gospel. I've had many tell me that through the years. The more I study the word of God, the gospel is the gospel. Period. Do you guys believe that? Do you trust the gospel? What did he come re preaching? Repent and believe. Why would he even ask us to do that if we can't even do that? It doesn't even make any sense. You guys might think pastor's on his soapbox. No, I love you guys enough. I do not want you to be swayed by the evil one. We need to stand upon the word of God. Don't ignore it. Take it seriously. Let me get, tell you again, if the church would just teach the word, we wouldn't have the stupidity that's out there today. But God said that in the last days, we're going to heap up teachers for ourselves. Okay? And it seems in the church, it's the popularity thing. It's no longer reading the Word of God. Have you read him? Did you read his new book? Did you hear he's writing a new book on this? That's what it's become. We want to stick to the Word. And if you guys see us starting to go off, call us out. What happened? I thought we kept it simple here. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> the Word of God. Okay? So... When it comes, bringing this together, when it comes to obeying God, there are really only two responses. I will or I won't. And those are our choices. Don't let anyone ever tell you differently. And you have a choice today. I will or I won't. It's tempting to say I will, but as some of Jesus' would-be disciples did, but that's really a roundabout way of just saying no, isn't it? Isn't it? Let's be honest. Okay? You will or you won't. So I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. How many of you guys love that song? Last summer, my kids went to a VBS at a Lutheran church. Yes, they are Reformed and Calvinistic. They gave out a phenomenal, it's our favorite CD, worship CD that we have. Okay, we jam out to it in the car. It's been in there nonstop. We love it. 
But when we received the disc at the VBS, they said, we don't do song number two. Does anyone want to guess what song number two was on the disc? I have decided to follow Jesus. And there was a little thing on there, a couple scriptures given. They don't believe that anyone can decide to follow Jesus. And they gave a couple scriptures completely out of context. And my heart was grieved. All these little kids, hundreds of them showed up at VBS. <laughs> and they got their disc with a little sticker from the pastor there saying, you can't follow. You can't decide to do that. Wow. So, see, we are just waiting to spend eternity with God in heaven. We understand that eternity begins now, okay? And as we accompany him on this righteous path that he set before us. So Jesus has made it crystal clear. One of my favorite passages, this will be our last verse, jot down Luke 9.23, crystal clear. If anyone desires to come after me, in other words, follow me, to be my disciple. Let me tell you what, there's nothing better in the world than following Jesus. Okay, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the call that he's made. There's going to be a dying to self. Pick up your cross. Follow him. So to the disciple, the cross represented torture, physical abuse, and death. They had seen and smelled death firsthand. If we could have listened in on the conversation, it would probably have sounded something like this. First, you asked me to leave my business and my family to follow you and to learn from you. And now you're telling me that you're going to go away and die, Jesus, and that I have to deny myself and follow in your footsteps? That's probably how the conversation would have went. So don't you think that you're asking a bit much, Jesus? A famous hymn, we sing it earlier. I've decided to follow Jesus. It originated in India. The lyrics were based on the last words of a man in Assam. It's the northern east part of India who, along with his family, they were converted to Christianity in the mid-19th century uh, through the efforts of some Welsh missionaries that had come. Called to renounce his faith by the village chief, the convert declared, I have decided to follow Jesus. In response to the threats to his family, he continued, Though no one joins me, still I will follow. His wife was taken and killed. And he was being executed while singing the cross before me, the world behind me. A little context to the song now, huh? You see, this display of faith is reported to have led to the conversion of that chief and many that were in the village. The formation of these words is him. They've been attributed to the Indian missionary there, Sadhu Sander Singh. Uh, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Now, I stumbled across a new version of this song this week 
that I would like to share with you guys. I never heard it before until my daughter sang it to me. And I don't think she heard it from anywhere. This is an original. So take this in. We got the volume on? Well, there you have it. <laughs> but when she's saying that to me, you have to sign in to follow Jesus. I'm like, that is what I'm going to preach this Sunday. I think she did that last Sunday evening. I knew where we were going. I knew there was going to be a call to follow Jesus. But that's up to you. Are you going to, let's turn to one more scripture. Turn to the end of the book. I'm sorry, guys. Revelation chapter 3. You got to sign in to follow Jesus. That's on you. Do you want in? Are you willing to sign up? People sign up for boot camp all the time, right? I'm in. Right? We're going to do the same thing for Jesus. I'm in. I'm going to turn my allegiance to you, King Jesus. I'm going to turn from this world, the bad king of this world, <laughs> and I'm going to follow you. I'm all in, all yours. Uh, let's take a look. Chapter 3, it's in the beginning. Um, verse 5. He overcomes, shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So the question before you, my friends, brothers and sisters, is your name in the book of life? Is your name there? Have you signed up? I hope so. One more verse, let's turn to Philippians. Sorry. I just taught this to the kids last week. We're gonna be in Philippians finishing up tonight the book. But it brings up the book of life again. I encourage you guys to do a study on the book of life. It's a fun study. Um, it was right in the beginning, a few verses. Um, yeah, let's look at verse 3. And I urge you also, true companion in Philippians 4, these women who labored, so these who were serving with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Guys, that's the reality. Brother and sister, we are to serve together. Why? Because our names are written in the book of life. And when they're written in the book of life, that means, yeah, I'm all in. I'm following Jesus. We're going to be about his mission, his business. And I would encourage you, if you're a youth, come out tonight. We're going to finish Philippians chapter 4. And I want to encourage all of us with what I'm going to teach tonight. When your mind is leashed, that's what the book of Philippians is all about. When you have the mind of Christ, okay? When you are leashed to that, yes, I'm going to say yes to you, to your word. I'm going to trust. 
I'm going to obey your word. It unleashes us to maturity, guys. That's when we begin to grow in Christ. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning, brothers and sisters. Follow Christ. Trust him. Obey him. No matter where he leads, okay? It is worth it. He's deserving of it. And it's the right thing to do as believers. Amen? All right, let's stand to our feet, please. Yeah, Father, we don't want to... Well, first of all, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the privilege to be in your word together this morning. We thank you for truth that sets us free. We don't want to be like the disciples that we read about this morning, Father, that are too fast, that get too excited, give lip service, and that's it. Or those that are just way too slow. Or those that just get preoccupied with other stuff. We want to be about your business. So please help us in your mercy, Father, and by your grace to be able to just keep our eyes upon you. And I do pray that you give us place as a church family to speak into each other's lives, to be praying for one another, that we would be able to do that and encourage each other to keep pressing on towards that goal that you set before us. Help us not lose the reality of the big picture. We know this life is short and it is temporal. There are people dying and going to hell. And as you told us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, God, you will that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. We thank you for your heart. We thank you that you love this world. And thank you that you have given us the privilege to be ambassadors of reconciliation that we can go share the gospel with others and be able to tell them in truth and in boldness that you love them and that you died for them, that their sins could be forgiven. And this morning there are some here that need to repent. They need to give up an addiction, Lord. They need to let go of maybe a career or something that's, he, that's keeping them, relationships maybe even, that are keeping them from just following you freely. I pray for all of us, including myself, God, if that would be the case, that you would work it out in our lives, that it would come out and be revealed, that we could deal with it and repent of it, that there would be nothing standing in our way from just following you. And help us to do that well, to run well, to finish well. Each and every one of us, God, we cry out, And we beg of you, Father, please help us to finish well. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.